Hello, welcome to the Scouted Football Podcast with me, Joe Donoghue. If this is your first time listening to our podcast, do check out Scouted Football or Scouted FTBL on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube and TikTok as well for everything on the up-and-coming players across world football. Um, if you're a long-time listener, thanks for coming back. Um, we'd really appreciate it if you popped a like, a review, a five-star rating on whichever app you'll use to listen or let us know what you think of this episode or others on social media. Um, As is often the case with these episodes, today we're following a geographical theme. Uh, I'm joined by Football España's editor, Ruri Barlow. Uh, Ruri, welcome back. How are things? Yeah, not too bad, Joe. I mean, probably not as good as you. You've just been telling me of a lovely holiday you've had onto the continent. But but yeah, hopefully things are getting warmer here in Madrid soon. So that is something to look forward to for myself. Well, speaking about of, of the continent, I tell you what, the last time we recorded a podcast, not on this one, but on the, 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 the excellent road to nowhere, you were giving us the ambience of a, uh, a Spanish cafe. Where, where's that tonight? Ambiance is a very um, very kind word you've used for racket is another one um, that probably suits it better. I'm in I'm in my flat just now in Madrid and so it's a little bit quieter although we might hear the dogs set off sometimes as soon as the kids come home from school. The entire stare of dogs sort of uh, coalesces into an orchestra of barking. So, uh, so that might interrupt us at some point. They've been serenaded by just howling dogs oh, at five, six every evening. Nice. They're all yappy dogs as well. They're all oh, tiny no. wee things. Um, all, all designed for city flats, to, to oh, say yes. the least. Yeah, yeah. But, of um, but yeah, that, it's it's one of the lesser evils, to be fair, that I have to deal with in this flat. So I can't I can't, can't complain again. No, no, definitely not. Especially as we're going to be talking a lot about Spanish football in this episode. Um, now, we, we've done a, a series of, of Spanish football-focused episodes on, on the Scouted Football podcast, but um, I think at the moment, um, probably is, is one of the better times to, to do one, given that, that Real Madrid have just beaten Liverpool 5-2 in the Champions League uh, knockout rounds, the first leg of that one. But, I mean, taking that, that lead back to the Bernabeu does seem as though they, they've probably got that tie all wrapped up, um, save for a, a Liverpool-esque corner taken quickly kind of remontada in the uh, the second leg. It's probably best to begin with Real Madrid in that case then. And uh, I'm sure you won't be surprised that the the one player that I want to discuss first is Vinicius Jr. Um, because, I mean, this season he's been he's been excellent. Last season he was excellent. You know, the, looking at the, the, the numbers behind him, um, I was looking at Opta's, Opta's analyst hubs and they, they had the, him uh, right at the top of shot ending and key pass ending carries. Top on both of those metrics, by the way. He's just a fantastic player at the moment. Um, would you say currently he's the best player in La Liga? It's very hard to argue against it. I mean, Carlo Ancelotti said he's the most decisive player in world football right now. And uh, yeah, it's kind of, it's. I'm kind of running out of arguments against it. I mean, I think uh, there's various players in La Liga that perhaps long term will will define an era as much as Vinicius. But right now he's Real Madrid's best player. He's the one that all of the attacks run through. He is the the one that get, breaks games open. And he did go through a wee bit of a drought in January, um, but he seems to have come back with with force. And I'll say this, Benzema's return is probably a factor in that. He's a much better player when he does have Benzema alongside him and, and Real Madrid aren't quite so one-dimensional or Vinicius dimensional because it was literally just him, uh, Tirando El Caro, kind of like pulling forward the cart uh, literally in Spanish. So, so yeah, Vinicius, I mean, we're kind of running out of words for just how electric and unstoppable he is because it, it does seem at times, and I think this is something that Liverpool didn't do and should have done, that the only way to stop him is foul him. I think he he's the most fouled player in Europe by about 20, 25 fouls above Neymar. 
and that gives you an idea of just just that La Liga defences right now they know that it's two free players around him all the time and first foul, second foul, third foul, try not to get booked <laughs> if you're directly up against him. Yeah, it's usually a good indicator of um of how 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 much in the pomp a player is when they they're just constantly getting fouled. I mean, closer to home for me, Willy Nyonto has been sort of the only reasonable <laughs> aspect to to Leeds United's play at the moment. Um and he just constantly gets fouled because he's just got that that youthful endeavor and the the, the fearlessness to to run at players and he's he is by and large a lot of the reason why anyone would want to watch Leeds at the moment. Um and it's because of that that kind of mini Vinicius streak of of players just getting at him and him winding up opposition crowds because he keeps going to ground. And I imagine that that is the same same scenario with with Vinicius as well. Um, that you know, I mean, I know the discourse around and and the the you know the blatant racism that that Vinicius has had to put up with um, in in Spain is is nowhere near as as bad as as other players. Um, and it's obviously we condemn that. How would you say he's perceived by reasonably? minded people in in Spain you know reasonably minded neutral observers yeah I can see you kind of sort of yeah kind of stumbling around for the right words because it is an awkward case at this point because put bluntly and put very honestly there's a lot of people pretty much everyone who's not a Real Madrid fan doesn't really like Vinicius I mean he's quite a yeah character and he, he certainly goes after the opposition he's certainly has a mouth on him. He likes to wind up defenders, and and he likes to wind up crowds as well. And and yeah, he he doesn't endear you to him too much, to be perfectly honest. Now the discourse around him in Spain has has gone overboard. It's crossed lines and probably has allowed or enabled some of this racism to creep in. And so it's finding that balance between people commenting on somebody that a lot of people just blatantly don't like and that's fine and and Sid Lowe was saying this the other day that it's okay for somebody to be a villain and it's okay for there to be that back and forth with a, an away crowd and there to be that kind of tension and that sort of uh, aggro as long as it doesn't kind of spill over but it has been spilling over and and it's created a, a really sort of deep problem in Spanish football with the racism so how is he perceived I think in in Madrid well certainly by um, Madridistas he's He's beloved and they feel he's been victimized and unfairly treated. And there's a certain truth to that as well. Uh, outside of Madrid and outside of their fans, I think people like-minded know that he's been treated unfairly, know that he's been treated very poorly, um, and that he should not have had to deal with any of the disgusting racism that he has done. But if you're asking me if the average neutral is a big fan of Vinicius Perhaps not. I mean, perhaps he doesn't uh, yeah, endear, endear himself to many people. But in terms of play, in terms of watching him, he's, he's certainly one of the most exciting players on the planet. Uh, and the spectacle doesn't really get better than him right now. Yeah, certainly. Um, I, I'd echo those those points there. Real in general, you know, you, you look at the, the... I mean, you look at Luka Modric um, running games in the Champions League knockouts again um, at the, the, the ripe age of, of 37. Um, and you think, well, you know, he could probably do that for another three years based on that performance. Certainly, <laughs> um, but you, you know, you look at the the, the succession plan is is in pretty good hands, at least on paper. You know, you've got the likes of Chuameni, you've got the likes of Eduardo Camavinga. I mean, you know, that it seems as though when you look down the squad list at Real Madrid, you know, even with your Vinicius's as well and Rodrigo and even Eder Militao, who's still only twenty five, I think there seems to be 
you know, a, a young core of, of real, you know, players who, who impact games. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's been the most positive thing for Real Madrid this season. It has been that kind of step forward from the other players. And we we started to see it at the end of the last season, certainly in that Champions League run. You mentioned Camavinga. Fede Valverde is the other one who, who's taken a big step forward this season. I, I mean, Carlo Ancelotti said he'd have to tear up his coaching license if Valverde didn't score 10 goals this season because he was that convinced that he had that much more to give. He's thankfully reached that figure and, and Ancelotti's got more time to stick around. But but yeah, I think Valverde, Chouamini, as you, as you mentioned, all of those players look like they're here to stay for, for the next kind of best part of a decade. Camavinga is the one that's really impressed me in 2023 in particular. He's really taken a step forward because last season I had my doubts about him as a kind of functional 90-minute player. He was leaving a lot of gaps positionally. He was He was overly aggressive at times in midfield and he still has bits to work on but certainly in 2023 he's taken enough of a step forward that Carlo Ancelotti trusts him to play in that pivot role for 90 minutes and that that's massive because before I mean Chouamini has, has had his injury issues in 2023 and Casemiro's absence has been felt I think defensively especially so so that's big for Real Madrid and in terms of midfield as well yeah they're set with those kind of three that I mentioned the one thing I think, and well, Jude Bellingham is the obvious answer to, to this kind of question that I'll pose, is that do they perhaps need someone else or somebody with a little bit more of a creative touch to replace the Luka Modric if he ever retires or if he ever runs out of gas? Because, yeah, there, there is that sense that I think Modric is the solutions man, as Iniesta used to be called, when you really need something in the final third, you give it to him. And he'll find that sort of that shot, that pass, that angle, that that give and go, which really makes a difference in the final third. So I think, yeah, there's there's a consciousness that Modric needs a, a sort of more out and out replacement, somebody who can operate a bit further up the field. But yeah, in terms of how they're set for the next kind of decade, Real Madrid are in very good hands. They've obviously signed Endrick to replace Benzema eventually. Um, it's just the defence that they're perhaps wanting to look at the think the fullbacks areas is where Real Madrid are are less sure of their future. Yeah, I'll I'll bet that uh, Chelsea are quite pleased that they managed to to land Andre Santos before his Sudamericano performance considering that that Real Madrid do have that that tendency to hoover up young Brazilian talents. So, um mm. yeah, I mean I mean it, it is a case of if Modric retires. I mean, I know he will at some point, but at the moment it does seem as though he's just he's he's evergreen. Um on, on the other side of the, 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 the two big clubs debate in Spain, you know, obviously you've got Barcelona. I don't need to to tell anybody about the, the, the ethereal class of somebody like Pedri or, you know, the, the guile of, of somebody like of Gavi. Um, but somebody who I hadn't watched an awful lot of before this season, and, and I still haven't, to be honest, um, is Alejandro Balde. So for, for you, Ruri, you know, somebody who hasn't watched Balde before, how would you describe him as, as a player sort of from scratch? It's a good question, actually. Balde is is pretty electric. He's really kind of got a motor on him. He has that kind of burst of pace that maybe not Gareth Bale, because I don't think he quite has the same power as, as Bale does, but certainly bursting into space and arriving in the, in the kind of uh, wide areas, he really does, does make a difference. And it's pretty hard to stop when he's in full flow. He's technically good. He has good touch. He's comfortable running at a player, dribbling past them. Admittedly, more reliant on pace as opposed to pure kind of footwork. But uh, but yeah, he's got decent enough delivery. That's probably one of the areas he wants to work on most. 
And defensively, he's been surprisingly impressive this season. I think that was the big area which was perhaps holding him back because he, he had a couple of appearances last season and he's always been kind of regarded within La Masia as one of the brighter talents, as somebody that could perhaps make the first team. But this season, he's really come on leaps and bounds defensively and, and going forward with his use of the ball as well. It, it really wasn't foreseen, I don't think, by Barcelona just how good he's become this season. And you saw that with the signing of Marcos Alonso, who was meant to be the competition for Jordi Alba. And both of them have ended up sitting on the bench for, for Alejandro Balde, who's who's just, yeah, he's he's kind of almost irrepressible. And the fact that in the last Clásico, kind of one of the defining images was him sprinting away from Danny Carvajal and, and really leaving him in the dust was is kind of, uh, I think that would be a, an image that kind of endures for quite some time. Mm, yeah, that I was going to say that was that was one of the the clips that I had seen of of Balde before um, before actually sort of getting into to, to your Y scouts and having a look at his game. You know, kind of a very lasting impression. Um, you know, the the new generation coming through of, of fullbacks or, or wingbacks in 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 the Clásico. We we can't have a Spanish podcast without discussing Real Madrid and Barcelona. Um, but the, <laughs> the the players that I'm really excited to discuss um, are are the ones which are which are coming up, and and I think. Um, ever since that, that Lou scouted Lou told me about this player at, at at Celta Vigo, I've been I've been enthused by him. Um, I've I've really enjoyed watching his clips. Uh, I've really enjoyed watching yeah, going back and watching his watching his games uh, for, for for Celta because he's I, I, I don't know what it is. I just think he has it, um, and that's Gabri Vega, um, who at Celta Vigo has, came through their their cantera, so their their academy system. Um, and and then I think it was 2020 or 2021 that he made his his debut or his first start for for the club, um, but then was was very much back in the 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 youth team or the the, the reserve team um, last season, and only really broke through uh, towards the end of the campaign with a, with a number of substitute appearances off the bench, really in, in inconsequential games because Celta were in mid table and. Um, there, you know, there wasn't a great deal riding on it, so you know the, the coach could put him in for for twenty, thirty minutes at a time. But this season, he's he's been almost a mainstay in that that first team. Um, still only twenty years old, I believe. And uh, I was speaking about the shot ending and, and key pass ending carries of Vinicius Junior earlier, uh, and it's Vega who has the most, uh, or rather, the joint most goal ending carries in La Liga this season, which is quite a, a striking one because. You know he he is he is a very very good link player. I do like him in, in that sort of ten role. But you know he does have that ability to go past people. Uh, and and one of the things that you don't tend to see as often with with young players is them able them being able to translate that that dribbling ability into end product immediately. Whereas you know Gabri Vega does does appear to be to be doing that, doesn't he? Yeah, well, six goals is kind of the evidence of that. And if you look at the goals as well, in particular, you say he has it. Those goals are all pretty good to watch. I mean, most of them are, are kind of strikes from distance. There's one he scored very recently where he kind of takes two touches in the air and then lobs the keeper. And and yeah, there is a sense that he has that kind of confidence to try stuff, to do do things that other players will not I, I'm interested. It's also funny you say that he he was kind of gives off that vibe as ten because that that was the one thing that really stood out to me is the fact that coming through as a youngster, you don't ever get the ten rule. You don't ever get to play in that position, even if that's where you've perhaps come through. 
and he really comes across as someone to me who, who in kind of the younger sides and in the youth sides might have played up front or might have played just off a striker, but certainly coming off that kind of front line is, is where he operates best. And even if he is played wide, which he was a lot for the start of his kind of uh, entry into the Celta Vigo side, understandably at that age as well, where he operates best is kind of in those kind of wider areas of the box and backwards, if that makes sense. If I mean, I, I'm not the expert on half spaces, but I believe that there is one or two in there that he occupies. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Gabri Vega, yeah, he, he is an interesting player. He, he kind of speeds up the pace of the game a lot as well. That's something that I've noticed. He's not had perhaps the greatest or the easiest sort of introduction into senior football because I mean he had Chacho Caudet who's a very good manager but a very system-based manager as well which I don't know if that necessarily suits Vega's kind of want for freedom to roam a bit then you've got kind of Carvas Carvajal who came in but it's not been a successful Celta side that he's been in so so uh yeah coming into sides that are struggling as youngsters I mean necessity is the is the mother of opportunity kind of thing but it's also tricky to to do things well in those kind of sides and uh and yeah in in terms of spanish midfielders and kind of having that end product as well yeah six goals two assists you mentioned the the kind of uh, goal the resulting in goals kind of carries one as well successful take-ons i think he's in the top four to five percent for his position i think in terms of progressive carries he's very high up as well and he's overperforming his xg by quite a bit as well i think he's seventh in la liga for that that stat and and just to kind of wrap up my opening kind of diatribe on him, the one player that he kind of brings to mind a little bit for me, although I do think he's more mobile and a little bit more kind of kind of quicker, more direct, is Isco. The way he kind of dribbles, the way he he skips away from a challenge and then plays a pass. I, I think he reminds me of a very young Isco who nowadays we see Isco a little bit more kind of rounded both in in physical shape and and in kind of the, in terms of his game a bit deeper say, that's a good way of describing it after everything that's been written <laughs> yeah yeah um and he plays a bit deeper he's a bit more of kind of a pure midfielder but certainly when he came through he was playing in that final third a lot and i think that's where gabri vega as well kind of has similarities to to an early stage isco and and as well you know gabri vega i think the, the relationship and or rather the partnership that he has with Iago Aspas, it must be like a 13, 14, maybe 15 year age gap in there. I mean, I know Aspas is, you know, he's the king of Celta Vigo, but, um, you know, there's there's a young pretender uh, in, in Vega, I feel. Certainly, as long as they don't sell him, which which is always a kind of a risk for, for these kind of younger players that are shooting through, especially if the Premier League comes calling. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think with... Aspas, uh, sometimes he gets kind of compared to Messi in the sense that, yeah, he's left-footed and he kind of plays with a lot of freedom. He is their main goal scorer. He, he comes up with these incredible moments and incredible goals. But one of the traits that was always, it was always kind of a sign at Barcelona. If you saw Messi kind of taking a youngster, pass the ball to him often, look for them, try and combine with them. That was kind of the sign that that youngster was pretty good <laughs> and he was going to be sticking around for a little bit of time. You see that same thing with kind of Aspas and Vega. It's the fact that they have a relationship, the fact that they look to combine on the pitch. The two of them interacting is, is probably one of Celta Vigo's best weapons. And it's it's really interesting the way that they've taken on two big target men, Harris Ferovic and Jurgstrand Larsen. Both of them are in the side and, and kind of rotating in and out. 
and they had Gonzalo Paciencia before that as well. So it's 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 interesting the way they've gone about it, and they have three four players all moving around that one kind of very large focal point, which isn't necessarily a, a traditional strategy these days, but it seems to be working. And certainly Vega running beyond that large striker, getting into the box, getting in behind, has started to really produce goals from from that area. In terms of the the other clubs in La Liga this season, then um, you know you, you've got the likes of of Oyan Sanset and Nico Williams at, at Athletic Club, um, who are both doing very well. I think the the headline figure in, in those is is that Sanset has eight goals this season. We discussed him on this podcast a couple of years ago um, as sort of a, a breakthrough potential talent uh, with Athletic, um, but it's it's good to see that he's he's really coming. I don't know, coming of age seems seems appropriate. You know, he's twenty two, I think. Um, and he seemed, he's a very, I don't know, every time I've watched him, he, he's a, a, a confusing player in the sense that he, what he is good at, he doesn't seem as though his physical profile should let him be good at that, but he is. He's, you know, he's, he's, he, he mixes it up quite well. Yeah, you've absolutely identified that spot on. It, it doesn't look as if he should be as technically proficient as he is, being of the size and, and being of the Basque country as well. I mean, there's some very good technical players that come out of Athletic Club, but it's a lot of sort of very physical, well, in old terms, more English style football in inverted commas. And, and Sunset, he has that profile. He has that physique. He's he's a big, powerful player. He's a threat in the box in the air. He's somebody that you can play the ball into with his back to goal and you can be assured that he'll keep it. But at the same time, he has the quick feet. He has the eye for the pass. He has the eye for an angle. He's, he's really, yeah, I mean, I was at the Metropolitano last weekend to see Athletic Club take on Atleti. And Sunset for 60, 70 minutes was by far the best player on the pitch. If there's, if there's one criticism I have of him, it's maybe his stamina and he tends to get taken off with about sort of 15, 20 minutes to go. But yeah, Sunset, he's so reliably good in the final third at picking the right pass, at opening the play. There's very few players that I think he's one of them that you kind of give the ball to him as a striker or an attacker and you move because you know he can find you or alternatively he can sort of open it out and create a chance for himself. He's been really quite good. He scored a hat-trick the other day. I think it was only the second hat-trick in La Liga this season Um, and he's outperforming his XG as well. He's been moved around a lot, I'll say that as well. He's been played deeper this season. He's been played up front as a more natural striker. Lately, he's playing as kind of a two and then playing off Iñaki Williams or, or sometimes Raul Garcia. Um, so he's been moved around quite a bit because I think he's so versatile. But if I was Ernesto Valverde, I would be very tempted just to give the keys to him at this point, play him 10, give him kind of that freedom to, to move and to do as he pleases because for me, he's their most creative player. Uh, and possibly even their best player, along with perhaps somebody else that we're gonna gonna move on to at some point. Yeah, I think I mean mentioning Nico Williams, I think it's probably worth mentioning him um, in, or rather, worth covering him in a little bit more in depth. Obviously, the the younger brother of Inyaki Williams, whose um, incredible run of consecutive league matches stretching was it six or seven years um, came to an end more recently. Um, but um, Nico is is obviously a you know a, a good player in his own right and deserves to 
to to have his flowers. It's not just a case of he's the younger brother of of one of Athletic Club's most famous sons uh, in recent history, anyway. Um, and you know has, has been given a free ride. He's not exactly Athletic's nepo baby, um, but. <laughs> I do think that you know he he's I can't remember off the top of my head, but looking remember on the remembering on those Opta analyst hubs, um, the that Nico Williams was also quite near the top in terms of you know for chance creation and uh, for 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 key pass ending carries if I remember rightly. Yeah, for progressive carries in the in the top five percent, he's in he's tenth for La Liga assists, he's fifth for crosses, third for successful take ons. Fifth for for progressive carries on the whole in in the big five leagues as well, not just in La Liga there, um, and eighth in carries into the box in the big five leagues too. So, yeah, he's dynamic. He's really exciting, and he he's the kind of player that fans go to watch because you know when you give him the ball, he's gonna try it. And it was almost kind of shocking last weekend because he was up against Reynaldo Mandava, who's who's an absolute warrior and actually managed to shut him, shut him down. He kind of had him in a straitjacket for most of the match, but, and it was the first time or certainly the most effective defense of him that I've seen in this season. But yeah, it's just generally kind of, uh, it's rare that you actually see him shut down. It's rare that you actually see a defender get on top of him and get in the way of him. And that's credit to to him and, and to his pace, to his technical ability as well. He's got very good feet and, just more and more, he's starting to do more sort of different things. So we saw him against Jose Gaia, who's obviously a very adept fullback and a very adept opponent. They were having a good kind of back and forth recently enough. This was about two weekends ago. And so what does Nico Williams do? He takes it upon himself to move inside a little bit for, for five, ten minutes, picks up the ball inside of Gaia, then runs through four Valencia defenders and finishes it before the keeper can get to him. Just electric pace, just nobody could get to him, nobody could close that gap. And so we're starting to see him explore new ways and, and work out just how best to utilise both his talent and his pace. Seven goals and six assists this season in 27 apps, so you're averaging a goal contribution every couple of games. You're, that, that's again for a side that doesn't really have a natural goal scorer. Um, so yeah, Nico Williams is just... He's not. I don't think he's necessarily ever going to be become kind of an, an uh, one of those kind of ten players like Hazard or Messi or or somebody like that. But in terms of a wider forward, I think he's got the potential to to go as high as kind of Champions League latter stages teams playing at that kind of level. He, he really is um, very hard to stop for defenders these days. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think Champions League standard is probably a, a sensible. Uh, assessment of of where Nico Williams probably ends up at some point. You know, not he's still only twenty years old, so still a lot of room for growth. But the fact that he played so frequently last season, but obviously wasn't finding the net as much, and now becoming a more of a regular starter, and is actually turning those those you know good performances into into you know match changing contributions, um, is, is obviously a very good sign of development. Um, in terms of some of the, the lesser known players in in Spain at the moment, got two more I'd I'd like to discuss. One in La Liga and one in um, the the second tier, the Segunda. Um, the first one, the the one in La Liga, is El Bilal Toure at Almeria, uh, because he is doing quite well in terms of his XG this season. Um, he joined Almeria in the summer from from Stade Rheim, uh, in France, um, and I wouldn't have I, I wouldn't say he was ever really prolific there. 
Uh, he wasn't somebody who, I mean, he stood out because he was a young player. He'd, he'd arrived from from the Ivory Coast and, and you know, played quite regularly, quite early uh, at Ryan. Um, but that's not out of the ordinary for them. I think moving to, to Spain uh, was maybe a, a surprising move and I didn't really anticipate him to do very much there and maybe saw him moving back to France. But he seems to be doing all right. Um, I, one thing I did notice, though, is that he doesn't play a lot of 90 minutes, um, does Bilal, El Bilal Toure. Um, and obviously with, with the XG, I'm, I'm wondering, because I haven't seen any of Almeria this season, I'm wondering, is it perhaps a case of he's coming on in, in situations where it's beneficial to a striker because they're pushing pushing matches and they're um, and they're able to get him into good positions? Uh, and that's obviously inflating his XG because he's getting more opportunities, or or whether there is actually some some real credence to to him being a you know a line leading forward. He's a curious player, to be honest. I, I knew very little about him before he came to Spain and before he came to Almeria. To be perfectly honest, he doesn't. I couldn't tell you exactly what his kind of wheelhouse is in terms of in in terms of just where it is that he really looks to get at defenders, but he's a handful. He's quite confident in his own ability. He runs in behind very well. He's obviously kind of physically pretty gifted. He's pretty strong and he's pretty hard to knock off the ball. He's not necessarily going to run at defenders in that kind of sense. And neither would I say he's necessarily a player that is sort of amazing at holding in the ball and then playing off him. But he does seem to give defenders a hard time and sort of be in their faces quite a lot. I think he, he gets into good positions. I'll give him that. He's, he's very adept at kind of finding himself in the right place to cause damage. If he can tighten up some of those holes in his game, particularly finishing. I mean, he, he's doing well for, for XG, you say, but like I've, every now and then there's a chance or, or a situation where he maybe just takes that slight wrong choice. And I think that's one of the things that will define in the next kind of two or three years of his career, whether he makes a kind of step up and, and keeps kind of going forward on his trajectory or whether he kind of stays at this kind of level and, and is used more as kind of a, not necessarily a battering ram, but yeah, just kind of a handful striker. I mean, having watched Hearts quite a lot in my time, I can, I'm kind of used to some strikers that maybe <laughs> aren't necessarily uh, particularly rounded players, but are a handful. Um, and so if he can sort of exploit the technical abilities he has, start making the right decisions, in addition to kind of the yeah the aspect of making it very hard for defenders to to live with him and to to kind of coexist without kind of him yeah getting getting in their faces and, and getting a bit of joy against them, then that could really see him kind of take a step forward. Are you trying to say that the El Bilal Toure is the uh, the Malian equivalent of Kyle Lafferty? Not well. I haven't seen El Bilal Toure with a flute yet, but um, but. <laughs> 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 you know what I, I was being i was being um facetious but you know it's, <laughs> I, I do know what you mean he is he, he's a player who you you could look at and go well you could go one of two ways you know you yeah. could go and become uh, uh somebody who becomes renowned for not finishing their chances but is obviously very good at getting in those positions or somebody who could be regarded as you know maybe not the most athletic of players but um, you know, really, really adept finisher. So I'll have to wait and see with that one. But he, he did take me by surprise um, sort of when I looked at um, sort of the, just simply the numbers. Uh, and that's not to say that XG is everything as as we will 
um i mean as as very very many of you uh, listening to this podcast will know um you should should always check the eye test as well um i'm not endorsing just looking at xg um but the final player that i, I wanted to discuss uh this week on the scouted pod uh for this spanish spanish special scouted in spain um is alberto molero who is with las palmas in uh, the second division um currently top of the league um so it's no surprise that i want to talk about a player who's doing well in a team that is doing well um but i think it's eight assists he has this season uh, he's only 19 years old um and you know las palmas do tend to to create or or, or produce um these these types of very uh, nifty technical players uh, especially in, in recent seasons yeah, I mean, the two that obviously stand out are Pedri and Jeremy Pino, who will be well known to scouted listeners. And uh, he does have similar traits to some of them. I think he's been compared to Pedri a lot. I think that's mostly because they kind of started off in similar positions and they came through at Las Palmas. They're both very technical players. They're both smaller in stature. Um, I'd say there's there's significant differences between him and Pedri in terms of their style. I say that without having watched him every week in, week out. I'll, I'll be perfectly honest about that. But from what I have seen and from the way people talk, I'd say one of the things that he has that I love, and it's something that Pedri has, it's something that Jeremy Pino has as well, is when they dribble at defenders, they're very upright. And so Vinicius is as good as he is and, and he really has improved his end product he's kind of a very much a head down dribbler go at the defender and sort of yeah it, it's kind of mano a mano battle but Moleiro and and uh Petri and, and Pino as well all of them when they dribble at defenders they kind of quite upright so it gives them not only the possibility to to go one way or the other uh, and to sort of anticipate the defender defenders move it gives them a chance as well to pick out that pass or to to see kind of the whole picture around him. So I really like that about him. That's one of the things that I think will stand him in really good stead going forward. He's he's kind of best inside that final third, whereas Pedri, you could see him, well, for Spain, certainly he did. And for Barcelona last season, he's been moved forward again by Xavi this season. But for you could see Pedri kind of playing deeper in midfield and kind of controlling the game. Molero is much more of a final third player for me and he has been used mostly as kind of a, a wider forward or kind of across that three and a four two three one if you if you want to put it in simple terms so i think he's, he's yeah he's more of a an attacking sort of attack-minded player than pedri who's a bit more rounded he's probably uh, another thing that i like quite like about him in terms of i was saying about that upright dribbling is he's got a very good appreciation of kind of momentum and the weight of defenders so when he's kind of receiving the ball from a midfielder and the defender's coming in one side or the other of him, he's very adept at knowing, right, okay, this defender's got his weight all on that side. I can go the other way and I can sort of give him the slip. So so those are kind of two things that really stood out to me beyond the kind of he's young and he's Spanish and he's and he's very technically gifted and he plays in the attacking third. Um, but uh, yeah, those are two things that really stood out for me. Um, and uh, he's, a, he's a bit more twitchy than Pedri as well. He's more similar to Pino in that sense that he's probably stockier in build uh, and a bit more kind of, yeah, he's looking to move faster than Pedri, who kind of, he's, he's very genteel, Pedri. He's kind of languid in his style, whereas Molero's a bit more kind of intentional and he looks a bit more direct. 
Yeah, I mean, that was probably the best appraisal that I think anyone's going to get of him. Um, you know, the, <laughs> the saying that you, you hadn't seen too much of him, I think that was that was pretty comprehensive. Um, you know, he's somebody who, again, Lou at, at, at Scouted, he, he brought him to my attention initially. Um, I'd only I've only watched clips. I can't say I've can't say that the the European trip uh, that I managed to, to get on recently was out to Gran Canaria. <laughs> uh, it was a bit colder uh, where I was, but um, yeah, it's Molero is is somebody who I think certainly in the next I don't know six months, twelve months, we'll be hearing a, a great deal more um, because you know he's he just does have. I, I, know, I, I know I described Gabri Vega as that um, as having it, but he Molero does as well and. You know, at 19 years old, to have eight assists in the second tier, um, and to you know be a real creative touch point for a team, you know, a really reliable one as well, um, is is pretty out of the ordinary. So, um, he's that's a key reason why why I've I've wanted to to focus on him today. And sometimes all it needs is you know even if you haven't seen a great deal of a player, sometimes word of mouth can be the greatest. I don't know, you know, the greatest appraisal. If you keep hearing about the same player over and over and over. You know, as I'm, I, as I imagine you will have done in in Spanish football circles, and Molero's name keeps cropping up as you know he's doing these things in in the second division again. You know, Las Palmas are gonna are gonna probably get promoted. Um, you know, it's it's it, there's no smoke without fire. Essentially, is, is what I'm trying to say <laughs> in a very long winded fashion. And just to that point, in terms of what we'll be hearing about him, I'd almost be surprised if he was there next summer. Last summer, they did have a deal more or less done with Barcelona. Barcelona couldn't quite come up with the money, but I think it was about similar kind of structure enough to Pedri, but it was rising to about 30 million. I think it was 5 million initially, 25 million in variables was was the figures being spoken about. And yeah, okay, we never know exactly what these figures are until they actually happen. But that gives you an idea of just how highly rated he is. Um, And very quickly again, just another point, Garcia Pimienta is his manager. He comes from the Barcelona kind of youth academy system and, and spent years there. He's at Barcelona B before Laporta came back. He's landed on his feet, Molero, with Pimienta because he, he's a really smart coach and he's his football's conducive to technical players, to put it that way, obviously coming from La Masia. And I think if you're looking for a younger coach that might make some waves in Spain or, or elsewhere at some point as well, he's an interesting one to follow. Excellent stuff. Well, quite a few names there, many of whom uh, you might not have heard of before, and, and some that you certainly will have um, to to digest. Uh, Ruri, thank you very much uh, for for joining me on the Scouted Pod once again. Um, do you have anything you'd like to to plug before we go? Nothing in particular, other than uh, Football Espana's kind of analysis section is where you'll find kind of the the game game side analysis that I've been doing of late. But uh, yeah, Road to Nowhere Football Podcast, as as you know, is a good one to go check out as well. But uh, yeah, pleasure. It was absolutely all mine. Scouted Football Podcast is one of my favourites, not just to to listen to, but also to come on because it's it's always good fun chopping it up with yourself, Joe. Excellent stuff, and likewise, um, yeah, always always a good chat with you, Rory. Um, thank you very much for for tuning in. Uh, this has been the Scouted Football Podcast with me, Joe Donahue. Do remember to check out Scouted Football on other platforms such as your Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Um, and uh, there'll be plenty more pod clips on there from other episodes uh, that you may not have listened to. But um, I've been Joe Donahue. Stay safe, take care, and bye for now.